Good morning. Good to see you all. Good morning. We appreciate the stagehand, D here, uh, put on the stuff. Thanks, D. Appreciate it. <laughs> Good morning. Glad to see you. Uh, this is Jess, my wife, and she's going to be teaching with me. Um, it was funny. She doesn't know I'm going to tell the story, but... Um, <laughs> When we were first married, um, Jess was a year ahead of me at seminary, and we had gotten married, and we hadn't taken, we had taken the same classes in seminary, preaching, systematic theology, all those courses, but we hadn't taken them together, and um, there's a very healthy, maybe unhealthy rivalry between Jess and I, generally speaking, uh, but we took one course together, it was called New Testament One, um, and I was very frustrated with that course because Jess regularly beat me in all the exams, all the quizzes, and the entire course. So, um, yeah. It was, it was one of those situations where I was like, man, how is she so smart, and how does she know all this stuff? So anyway, I'm glad that Jess is, is here to teach, and really, I'm just here to say hi and then throw it over to Jess and let Jess uh, kind of work through the text. But I want to invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Colossians 1, Verse 24. And while you're turning there, um, do you remember back in the good old days when we went to these things called movie theaters? Do you all remember that? Back in the good old days? One of my favorite things about going to the movie theater was before the movie started, what did we get to see? Trailers. Previews. Before the movie started, we get to see the previews. And honestly, if I was late to a movie, I would feel frustrated because I wanted to see the trailer. I wanted to see the previews. And there's something very interesting. I'm sure there's a marketing term for it, but I don't know what it is. But there's something about trailers and previews where they tease you, right? They show just enough of this movie that's coming out that you go, I wonder what's going to happen in that movie. There's a mystery to it, right? There's, there's a mystery. And you think to yourself, huh, I wonder what that scene's about. I wonder what this movie is about. And it almost compels you that when that movie comes out in the theaters, I'm going to buy a ticket, I'm going to be there, because there's a mystery. We as humans are compelled by mystery. We want to know what the solution is to the mystery. Do you know what I'm saying when I say that? When you hear a mystery, you think, when you read a Sherlock Holmes novel, you're like, I, I need to know what happens at the end. And I want to say something. I'm just, I'm just setting up the sermon and the message. Did you know that the greatest mystery that has ever been thought up was thought up in the heart of God? Paul talks about it in this text. In fact you could actually look at the Old Testament and consider the Old Testament just to be the trailer to the fulfillment of what God is doing. So we're going to be talking about mystery. And the big idea for us is, are you enjoying what God has provided, or are you still living off of the trailer of his mystery? That's what we're going after this morning. Are you living in mystery, sort of half knowing what the story is all about, or are you embracing what God has provided for us? So that's what we're going after. Let's look at the text. This is Colossians 1, verse 24, through chapter 2, verse 5. I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to go after it. This is Paul writing to the Colossians, verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, 
but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. And Abba, I thank you that you are a good, good God to us. And I thank you, Father, I thank you that, I, that we live in a time where we see the fulfillment of your mystery, where we can experience that. And I ask Jesus that you would help us to see you clearly this morning. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would teach, that you will burn in our hearts the truth of the word of God. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for the church at Colossae. I thank you for Jess. I thank you for the opportunity to teach, preach, and to hear your word. And so we yield to you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. The outline for our message is in uh, two parts with some application. Number one, in the text we see Paul's suffering in God's plan. That's verses 24 to 29 of chapter 1. And in part 2, we see Paul's toil for the local churches. That's chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And then we're going to have some application questions, and then we're celebrating communion. So if you're at home, just a heads up that we will celebrate communion at the end of the service today. So let's start off with the first part, Paul's suffering in God's plan. Paul's suffering in God's plan. Did you see what Paul said in that very first verse? He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. So he's acknowledging, if you remember, Paul is in chains, right? He's in prison. And he says, I rejoice. It makes me happy. I am joyful that I get to suffer for you, which sounds like a strange thing to say, doesn't it? I, I, I'm happy that I get to suffer for you. And then he says, to share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So there is a concept that when Jesus suffers, do you know who is suffering? Jesus is suffering, but do you know who else is suffering when Jesus suffers? The body, the body of Christ. You remember when Saul was on the road to Damascus and he was on the way to persecute the Christians? The way, those of the way. And Jesus meets him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Paul knows really well what it means for Jesus to suffer <laughs> and to see people suffering for Jesus. Does that make sense, what we're saying here? And Paul is, is explaining to the Colossians, I am happy to suffer for you all. He has a perspective that is actually shocking. As I know in, in my own heart, I don't know that I'd be like, yay, I'm suffering for people that I've never seen in Colossae, right? But see, Paul knows something about the mystery of God that we don't know about yet. And that's what Jess is going to explain to us. So that's part one. He's suffering for the sake of the church. And then we got part two. Jess? Yeah, I was also thinking about an example of <clears throat> this mystery. And um, 
it's, you know, it's a bad example. Anything compared to the mystery of Christ in you is a bad example, probably, right? But this is the best bad example I could come up with. So um, when I was pregnant with Bailey, we kept her name a secret. We didn't tell anybody what we were going to name her, and none of our family or friends or anything. And um, so after she was born, Jamie and I, we were, you know, gathered, and our entire family was gathered around the bed, and, you know, we were holding Bailey, and we announced her name. This is Bailey Grace Moore. And, you know, tears and weeping, and oh my goodness, because now they know who this person is, mm. right? She has a name, and um, and that was that was impactful and powerful. And that's just a, a slight baby shadow <laughs> of what it mm. is to know the mystery of Christ in us. All right, so let's jump into, if we see in verse 26, um, what does Paul mean by this mystery? So the Greek word for mystery is mysterion, and it essentially means a divine secret. So it's, it's, it's a God's secret, this mystery. Um, so the content of this mystery, which has not, it's the content of that which has not been known before, but which has been revealed to an in-group or a restricted constituency, right? So it's something that hasn't been known before, but, but, but now some people know about it, right? Um, so in order to kind of talk about the rest of this, of this passage that we've, we've, we're going to talk about today, we really kind of need to talk about some of the false teaching that was happening in the church at Colossae. Um, and so there was, there, was, there was heresy going on. There was false, you know, false teachers um, really influenced by kind of this Gnostic belief. Um, and Gnosticism, I'm not going to, you know, explain all of that. Just base level, Gnosticism really focuses on the fact that matter, physical bodies, physical being is evil. Um, and that thought or knowledge or wisdom or understanding is good. So it's this idea that um, what we can think of and the knowledge that we have is actually what's real and good. Um, but, but that which you see, that which you can touch is actually, is actually evil. Um, so, the, the, the other idea is that all the secrets of God are, are in the mind, right? And so, this kind of leads to two, two paths that you can walk down if Gnosticism is something that you're following. You either are um, rejecting completely uh, the body and the, and the bodily appetites, right? So, denial of the self, the physical self. Um, the other path is that you completely indulge the body because... It doesn't matter, right? All that matters is the wisdom, the understanding, what you what you know, right? Um, so, they uh, Gnosticism. Some of them believed that uh, Jesus wasn't actually human. You know that he that he was he was just kind of like a divine being that, you know, didn't necessarily have to suffer the way that that we know he did. Um, and so that was also kind of one of the beliefs that was going on here in the church at, at Colossae. So it's important to kind of understand what wisdom and understanding kind of these words, what they meant, you know, to, to the church at Colossae, what they were being influenced by, so that we can know how impactful it is that Paul's kind of using these same words, but in a different way. So Paul uses the term mysterion 20 different times in his letters and four times in the book of Colossians. Um, and so four times in the book of Colossians and three times in the passage that we're talking about today. So it's very kind of important, this, this idea of, of the mystery. So he talks about it being hidden from past generations um, and ages. So why is that? Why was it hidden? Well, the idea that is that Jesus has not come yet, right? So this idea that Christ could live in you, that God could live inside of you, was not an idea that, that they could even fathom at that point, mm -hmm. right? Um, because how did they experience God up to this point? Well, he was a pillar of fire by night, a, you know, pillar of cloud in the day. He um, lived in the temple. He lived in the holies, holy of holies, and only some people, very few amount of people, actually got to go and actually experience his presence. So this idea that Christ can live inside of us, that God lives within us, is the mystery. Uh, and, it's, and it's a mystery because it wasn't understood or experienced mm -hmm. up to that point. All right, so who, does, who, does, who is the mystery revealed to? It's the saints. So the saints, that's God's people, right? Um, the, the great thing about, about this is that it's not just the Jewish people who are God's people, but it's also the Gentiles. 
Um, and in, if the, the sister book to Colossians is Ephesians, there's a lot of like similar, you know, information that Paul shares to both those churches. Uh, Ephesians, the Ephesian church was really struggling with Jewish versus Gentile belief and what that looks like and all that. Mm. Not necessarily in Colossae, but he does point out that um, this mystery was made known to the Gentiles, right? In verse 27, um, he talks about this, be, this mystery among the Gentiles. Um, so the mystery revealed is, like we've said, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So the mystery is Christ living within us. We are the temple of God now, right? That he's living within us. Um, and then, obviously, like I said before, before Christ came, that wasn't even an idea that, that people could, could fathom, that God could live within us. So what is this Christ in you, the hope of glory? Well, it's the Holy Spirit living within us, testifying to Christ and the Father, to, to Jesus and the Father. Um, so what does that look like? The Holy Spirit is our connection to the Father and the Son. He's our seal, right? In, in Ephesians 1, it talks about um, the Holy Spirit sealing us. It says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So he's our, he's our seal. The Holy Spirit is also our hope, right? And Paul talks about that, the hope of glory, Christ in us being the hope of glory. So he gives us this eternal, glorious hope. So it's, uh, Royce, I think, talked about last week kind of it being a, a already but not yet, right? Uh, the not yet is we, are, we have hope that um, eternally we will be with God in heaven, but we also get to hope in this life because he's giving us purpose and focus and he lives, he lives within us, right? So it's not just about living with him um, after we die. It's about walking with him day to day. The Holy Spirit is also our, our teacher. Jesus talks about that in Luke 12. Um, he's our helper. Jesus talks about that in John 14. He's our authority and our power. You can see that in the book of Acts, um, throughout the book of Acts. He's also our guide, also in the book of Acts and in Paul's writings. So Paul's hope is to spread this mystery to the entire world. And really, that's our hope too, right? To spread this mystery to the entire world. And we do that through discipleship and evangelism. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So let's look at the next, uh, the next couple of verses are Paul's apostolic mission. So verse 28 and 29 says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So Paul's mission is to proclaim Christ, to make him known, to make this mystery known. Paul's mission is to admonish and to teach. So if you look at the, word, the Greek um, word for admonish, basically has this kind of warning idea. So it's not just about teaching, although that is part of it. It's instructing, but it's instructing from kind of a warning mindset or stance. Um, so if you kind of parse it out, that word actually means to put understanding on, right? Um, but from kind of this warning idea. And then Paul's mission also is to instruct or teach kind of in the more traditional sense. So how does Paul do this? Paul's method is in or with the wisdom that he's gained by, by God. God has given him this wisdom. And this is an important part, right? Because if um, the Colossian church is dealing with these heresies and this false teaching, Paul's trying to say this, that true wisdom comes from above, comes from the Father, right? Comes from Christ, understanding who Christ is. So Paul's end goal is that every person be complete in Christ or be spiritually mature. And then, so how does Paul accomplish this mission? Through the power or working of God within him by the Holy Spirit. So essentially... This part kind of blew my mind when I was studying this. Paul is helping the Holy Spirit dwell in other people by the power of the Holy Spirit within him, right? And that's really what we're called to do as well. So the power of the Holy Spirit within us helps develop the power of the Holy Spirit within other people. All right, so. So what, Jamie? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Really good, Jess. Yeah, so what's the so what of this first section? Like, great, Paul, great, you're saying all these things. So what? Like, what does that mean to us right now? So I, there are a couple thoughts that I, that I had, and I wanted to get Jess's thoughts on it as well. 
Um, when I read this, I'm just going to be very honest with you. I was thinking about burnout. I mean, Paul says, I'm happy to suffer for you. <laughs> and then he says, I'm struggling, I'm laboring, I'm toiling. And I just think to myself, dude, you're in prison. <laughs> and you're suffering for the people. And you're saying, I'm still struggling, I'm still laboring. And I was just thinking to myself, man, I'm not there. Like, I find myself burning out fairly quickly. And it's not just ministry burnout. Sometimes engaging with family. I, I don't know if anyone else experiences this. Sometimes, like, you get home from work, and you're just kind of burned out and not really able to give to family. You know what I'm saying? And here we see Paul, and it's like he's got some sort of inexhaustible joy thing happening. So I want to throw it to Jess. What do you, what do you think that's about? Yeah, I was thinking about um, burnout in terms of— so. I am a, I'm a professional counselor for those of you guys who don't know. So I work at a private practice doing therapy with people from five to a hundred couples, families, um, individuals, teenagers. And so, um, if I try to do any of that in my own power, I burn out like that. I mean, by the end of the day and really by the end of the day, I'm tired anyway, but I can definitely tell the days where I'm really focused in on the power of the Holy spirit within me to do this work versus, you know, doing it, trying to do it on my own or kind of doing it by my own, you know, pick up, pick yourself up by your bootstraps type situation. Um, and so I try to be very conscious to you, to, to connect with the power of the Holy Spirit, to talk to Jesus throughout the day, throughout each session, and just kind of depend on him to tell me what to say. Right. And then by the end of the day, when I have been connected like that, I'm actually way less tired. Surprise, surprise. Right. Um, and it's that way in, in, all of our, in all of our jobs, whatever that looks like. Whether it's, you know, focusing on our kids at home, whether it's, you know, working out in, for a Fortune 500 company. You know, the more that we're connected to um, Christ in us as we do what he's called us to do in our occupations or whatever, the, the more effective we're going to be and the less tired we're going to be doing that. Yeah, that's good. There's a, there's a movement called the Keswick Movement. And one of the mottos of that movement was this, let go and let God. That was the, that was the motto. Um, and I'll just, I'm not insulting that group at all. I'm not sure that that's right. <laughs> like just let go and let God. If that means I'm just gonna be like, a, I'm Pinocchio, I'm a puppet, and God is just gonna do what he's going to do. You, you know what I'm saying? Because Paul is describing what Jess and I are going to call as supernatural struggle. What we see Paul doing here is he says it in, the, in, he says it in verse 28. No, I'm sorry. Why did he say that? Oh, verse 29. He says, for this person, purpose also I labor. So I'm working hard. Striving, he says, according to what? What does it say in the text? According to his power which mightily works within me. So the question is, is Paul working really hard or is the Holy Spirit working really hard? What's the answer? Yes. <laughs> so, so it's not so much let go, let God, I'm just gonna... Because if we let go, let God, that means Jess and I could just sit right there. We're just gonna wait for God to preach the message. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> like that's... So it's a combination of Paul working and the Holy Spirit working within him what we're calling supernatural struggle. He says this, he also explains this in Philippians 2. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Work. Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this dynamic of God is sovereign, yes, and God wants to move, and at the same time, God is choosing to do things through people who work. So Jess and I were thinking of a couple of examples, and I'll share mine. Um, there have been times where, and I don't know why it would happen in Oklahoma, but um, I would be parking and getting ready to walk into our neighborhood Walmart in Owasso, Oklahoma, so it's northeast of Tulsa. And the Lord would do this regularly. 
I would get out of the car, and I got my list. Like, you know how you got your list? I'm like, I need to get, I got to get my list, man. I got to get this done. Jess has asked me to get some things. I need to get it done. I would get out of the car, and I would start walking, and I would see someone coming out of the neighborhood Walmart. I would see them, and the Lord would begin to say things about them, like, like he wants me to go talk to them right now. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I just need to get the cantaloupe or whatever. You know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not into this right now. <laughs> and to my shame, I would walk right past the person just pretending like, because I was busy. So the question is, was God wanting to encounter that person in some sort of kingdom way? Yes. Did he encounter them in that moment? No, because Jamie didn't partner. That's what, what I'm going after here. And Paul said, I'm striving, I'm laboring, I'm working and it's the Holy Spirit. It's by his power through me, Christ in me. So that's an example of, of a negative sort of example. But I, Jess is going to share an awesome testimony of when she went for it. Yeah, Jamie gave me the, the, the time it worked out great. <laughs> so that I appreciate that. Because there's been times where I did the same thing. Felt, you know, the Lord telling me to tell somebody something and I wimped out. Um, there was a lady that came to our, our church. Um, she wasn't necessarily a regular attender, but she came because she had found out she had massive um, tumors in her abdomen. And um, the prognosis was not good. She was getting ready to have surgery, I think, in a couple of days um, to have these masses removed. And the prognosis for living was not, was not, not good. And... Um, Hearing her talk about it, seeing her, her countenance and, and the fear of her family, her whole family came to church one Wednesday to ask us to pray for her. And I, it was maybe one of the first times that I just prayed and asked for, you know, I told the, the, I told the tumor to go away and asked the Lord to, to perform a miracle. Um, and in that moment felt faith that that was going to happen. Um, afterwards, I walked away and was like, hmm, you know, I don't, I don't know. Well, she came back a few days later. Actually, it was before even Sunday. I think she came into Jamie's office and said, hey, they, they went in to kind of start the surgery and nothing was there. Mm. Nothing was there. Like this woman had massive tumors in her, her abdomen that were no longer present. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, what is that, right? Um, and, you know, what if I hadn't been obedient to pray? Would he have still healed her? Maybe you know, hopefully, but, but we got to see God work, you know, in a magnificent, amazing way, and heal this woman, um, who's doing well still, so. Yeah, yeah. No, it's an awesome thing, because it, uh, it helps us avoid the two errors, which is, I'm just going to work as hard as I can, and if God joins me, great, but I'm just going to work with all my strength, you get burned out, and then the other ditch that you can fall onto is, I'm just going to wait until God just does something, no, he's asking us to partner. It's a supernatural struggle. I'm working really hard, and his power, Christ's power in me, is working at the same time. It's a supernatural struggle. And then last so what of this section that I want to share is when I read Paul, and he says things like, I'm working to present every man complete in Christ. When I read that, I think to myself, what in the world? I mean, teleos, complete, mature, fully functioning. That is a significant word in the New Testament. And Paul's like, yeah, I'm laboring because all y'all, I want you to be completely mature in Christ. And I was just thinking, sometimes we feel intimidated by discipleship because, well, I don't, am I using the right curriculum? Or I don't have a curriculum. Or who am I to disciple and encourage someone else? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like some dude. But the truth of the matter is, Paul is just like you and me. He had Christ in him, the hope of glory. Guess what? By faith in Christ, you have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling within you. And actually the call, Matthew 28, Acts chapter 2, I mean, the call for us is to make disciples. But the people that are, are in our sphere of influence need Christ in us being manifest and helping mature them in Christ. I was just thinking for Mother's Day, you know, at least we didn't. Maybe some other moms did. But when, when Jess was pregnant and we had Bailey, nobody gave us a manual on how to raise our kids. <laughs> right? 
Like, you did, like you're holding this kid, and you're like, uh, what? Discipleship is very similar to that. You know, the Holy Spirit is not saying to each of us, well, you, you better get a PhD in theology before you start making people mature in Christ. No, he's not like that at all. Actually, he's like, how about this? The things that I've taught you, can you replicate that in someone else? Like the one or two things I told you this morning in your quiet time, can you actually replicate and communicate that into someone else? And it kind of demystifies discipleship. And I'm, and I'm for curriculum. I'm for strategery. Well, that's a funny word, isn't it? For strategy in the way we think about things. But maybe to take some of the pressure off, Paul understands Christ in me is working. His, his desire is that those that are in my sphere of influence are also becoming mature in Christ. So who's in your sphere of influence that needs to grow up in the faith? And what has the Holy Spirit taught you that you can replicate in those people? So that's the final so what of this section. All right, so look, let's look at section two, which is Colossians chapter two, verses one to five. All right, so we're going to look at Paul's struggle for the Laodiceans and the Colossians. Again, two churches. He hasn't, he hasn't met these people. Um, you could probably toss Hierapolis and, the, and churches from around that same area kind of into this, into this bunch. So Paul talks about that he is struggling for them, struggling on their behalf for these people, like Jamie said, that he hasn't even met yet. Um, I want to talk about a little bit about this word struggle. So it happens one of three times— um, this is, the first, this is one of three times that Paul talks about this, that uses this word in Colossians. Um, the Greek word is agona, and that's where we get our English word, agony, right? So Paul is actually struggling to the point of agony for these believers, for these churches, um, for these believers that he's never met before. Um, and so it just, it, it's a reminder of... Um, letting the Holy Spirit use us to the point of sometimes agony. And I think Paul is really not necessarily agonizing over the spiritual work or the physical work. He's actually agonizing over their spiritual maturity, right? They're growing up in Christ. So why is he struggling? Verses uh, 2 and 3 of chapter 2, we look at the full understanding of the mystery of God. And Paul makes several points here. He wants their hearts to be encouraged. Now, the idea of heart, and you guys probably, or maybe already know this, but uh, heart in the Greek, in the Greek idea, is uh, is very different than like how we think about our heart, right? A lot of times for us, our heart is kind of the seed of our emotions or our feelings, right? Well, for for uh, the audience that Paul's talking to here, heart was was everything. It was personality. It was um, beliefs, it was thoughts, it was, it was feelings as well. It was kind of the center of the human person. And so Paul is basically saying, I want everything about you to be encouraged. Hmm. I want everything about you to be encouraged. And then he says, I want you to be knit together in love. So this speaks to unity, right? One of the greatest entry points and influence in the body of Christ for the evil one is disunity. Let me say that again. One of the greatest entry points and influences of the evil one in the body of Christ is disunity. Mm-hmm. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, right? And one of the ways that he, use, he uses is disunity. The body of Christ being broken, separated from one another, in complete disagreement irreconcilable differences, right? So Paul is saying, I want you to be knit together. And how? In love. How do you, how do you stay knit together? How do you stay unified? Love. And then he says, I want you to have a wealth that comes from understanding. Again, if you think about if there was this kind of Gnostic idea of wisdom and understanding, um, Paul is saying, I want you to have the wealth that comes from, comes from understanding, and then he kind of goes on to say Christ himself. Christ himself is our understanding, right? And then he says, I want you to have a true knowledge of God's mystery that is, that is Christ. So again, this idea of kind of battling um, uh, false teaching about wisdom or understanding. He's, he, he says you find your wisdom and your understanding in Christ. 
which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We already kind of, we, we talked about that, uh, the whole purpose, the mysterion, right? He also says, I want you to understand um, that all wisdom and knowledge comes from Christ in verse three. So Christ is the one in whom is to be found all that one needs in order to understand spiritual reality and to lead a life pleasing to God. All right, so let's look at Paul's mission, verses four and five. Because Paul points out um, that he does not want them to be deluded or deceived. It is clear that, again, the influence, this influence is present in the church. So someone's being deceived if he's saying, I don't want you to be deceived, right? So he's saying, I don't want you to be to be deluded. I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to be deceived about the truth of Christ in you and the power of that. So he made this, if you think about it, he, he made this, um, well, I'm sorry, even though Paul is not there in person, he also makes the point that he's there in spirit, right? So what, what is this idea that he's kind of there in spirit, but not in person? He talks about this in the Corinthian church as well, when he's talking about um, his influence and authority as a leader is still there, is still present. He, they should still think about him as the leader, even though he's not necessarily there. And then he's hoping for two things. He's hoping for good, good discipline and the stability of their faith, right? So what is this idea of good discipline? Really what Paul's talking about there is an orderly manner to the way the church functions. Again, if you look at 1 Corinthians 14, he uses the same idea of good discipline when he's talking about the exercising of the spiritual gifts in their services. And he says they should be, it should be done he wants it to be done, but he wants it to be done in kind of an orderly manner so that, you know, wisdom and understanding and Christ can kind of work through that. And then he says he also is, he's hoping for the stability of their faith. And that just means the steadfastness of their faith, their faith continuing, them not being deluded, deceived, stepping away from the faith, perseverance, this idea of persevering in the faith. So, so what, Jamie? <laughs> All right, so the so what's here. I'm just thinking about unity, and I'm thinking about unity in the body. And I'm, I'm just, I've been reflecting about, it's been a, it's been a d divisive um, 18 months, right? I mean, between politics, between COVID, between race, all of it been extremely divisive, not, not just for the U.S. or for other countries, but for the church, extremely divisive. And I've got friends that, that are pastoring, that are serving as small group leaders um, all over the country. And um, when, when I talk to these um, folks, you know, all of us are just like, if you're in leadership in the church, you're just thinking to yourself, Lord, help us. So I've just been pondering, like, how important is it for us to be unified? Because it's clear. I mean, he's talking about false teaching here. He's talking about persuasive arguments, persuasive things that are like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I should disagree with this person over here, and I should, I should consider them to not even be a Christian anymore because they don't hold my position on this issue. And you can see how the enemy loves to get in between brothers and sisters and whisper, I, I think about screw tape letters uh, where C.S. Lewis would write the way uh, Wormwood would pit Christians against Christians. Oh, did, did you hear? Did you hear what they're thinking? Who they're going to vote for? Can you believe it? Right? And you got a brother who's like, oh my gosh, can you be a Christian and vote for that person? At the same time, he goes to the other person, did you hear what she thinks? Did you see the sign in her lawn? Right? <laughs> Oh, you can't be a Christian because you voted for that. All of these things. And I just happened to use, you know, a great polarizing one right then. Um, but I think you get my point, right? When I look at a brother and I say, you're not a Christian because you don't believe what I believe. I'm walking out of unity with that person. It's a, it is a big deal. It's such a big deal. I know it's a big deal to God because Jesus in his high priestly prayer, John 17, says, Father, I pray that they will be one 
in the same way that you and I are one. So we're to have triune-like, triune-ish unity in the body, which is crazy. That's the unity from, from before time began. That's the unity of God. And Jesus is like, I'm praying for y'all to be unified, Father, in the same way I'm unified with you. So Jess, the counselor, <laughs> like practically, how do you walk in unity? And does that mean agreement? Sorry, that was a leading question. Go ahead. <laughs> My bad. Sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. So, unity does not mean always that we agree with each other, right? We don't. I don't want you to necessarily think and be just like me because then we wouldn't be the body. We'd all be pinky fingers, right? We need each other and we need each other's different ideas and opinions to, for the, to build up the body of Christ. So that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to agree with everything that you say or you're going to agree with every stance that I have, but we walk together in unity because, and, and the way that we do that is we look at Jesus, right? We pursue him together. We ask the power of the Holy Spirit to help us be unified. But then sometimes I just have to come with the opinion that you have my best interest at heart. That you love me and that I love you and that it's okay if we don't always agree. But that we purpose to walk together as a body. Right? And sometimes I give up my idea for your idea. And sometimes you give up your idea for my idea. But we walk together to figure that out. And I don't take offense to you and you don't take offense to me, right? Practically, that's what it looks like. It's way easier said than done, right? right, right. Way easier said than done. But in, in a disagreement, I think in the church, we have to ask each other, okay, I'm going to, or we have to say to each other, I'm going to, to walk forward in this understanding that you have my best interests at heart, and I want you to know that I have your best interests at heart. And then we'll figure it out. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I like that you said that that's not easy. Because um, if the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, is praying for that, man, you know that's something that needs some supernatural work. If God himself is like, hey, first member of the Trinity, like, we need help <laughs> in this. Second connection, and so what, that I, I've just been thinking about is the, the word treasure in the text in verse 3. That in Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that Jesus himself in us is to be treasured. You know, when he, when he told the parable of the treasure in the field, he said there's a man who found this extravagant treasure in a field. And this man sold everything he had so he could buy that field so he could have the treasure. And this mystery that Christ, God himself, is dwelling within us. The reality of that mystery is the kind of thing that Moses stares at and goes, really? I could have had that, but I was Old Testament? The book of Hebrews tells us that all the heroes of the faith didn't get what they were promised. They were looking forward. In fact, it says that they are looking forward to us and seeing how this mystery is being fulfilled in us. In 1 Peter, it says that the angels look on, as the prophets were declaring this mystery, the angels look on and they're going like this, how's this going to work out? That's 1 Peter 1. I, I, I want to encourage everyone in the room, the fact that you can come into a relationship with God and then God will dwell within you is the most spectacular news that has ever been. The entire Old Testament I mean, David would be like, yeah, give me some of that. Like, I, I got the presence of God for like a little while, and then I'm fighting some giants, and then it, you leave. Saul, power, and then gone. Samson, I get my hair cut. I'll go to the barber. Now it's gone. But for us, the presence of God dwells within us. We get God forever because of good news. Not because we deserve him, but because we are made holy by Jesus at his cross and resurrection. We become the holy of holies, not because of our own holiness, but because of the holiness and righteousness of Christ imputed, given to us by faith. 
the reason I get the holy God of the universe within me is not because I'm a pastor or because I do good things. It's because I placed my faith in Jesus who died for my sins in my place and handed me his holiness. And when I receive it, the spirit of God actually comes and dwells within me. So I just want to encourage us on the so what. This is a treasure. Our relationship with Christ in us is the most valuable relationship we will ever have. It's more valuable than your relationship with your mom this morning. It is to be treasured more than your relationship with your spouse or your kids. Your relationship with Christ in you, Jesus with you, is the single most valuable and treasured relationship that any of us will ever have. Yeah, I was just thinking, so why is it, if that is true, when I face a big decision or a difficult time or a tough conversation, why do I run to people instead of Jesus? Right? Why is my first inclination, oh, I got to pick up the phone and call my mom? <laughs> I got to pick up the phone and call Jamie. I got to talk to somebody, you know, I got to talk to somebody that I can see Facebook. If I have all of the wisdom of understanding and knowledge within me by Christ living in me, why, why am I looking for other people's thoughts on my problem? My first inclination should be to run to Christ in me. Instead of Siri, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Or Google, yeah. Okay, we're going to invite the band up because um, we're going to finish out our service. So, band, y'all can come on back. Um, just have two application questions, and we've been hinting around this in our so what's, and then we're going to lead into communion. The first application question is to ask yourself, how am I cultivating Christ in me? How am I cultivating this relationship and how am I partnering with the Holy Spirit in a supernatural struggle? That's the first question. How are you cultivating this relationship? What are the practical things that you are doing in your life to cultivate this treasured relationship with Christ? And are you having supernatural struggle as you work? That's the first question. Second application question. Yeah, am I pursuing unity? So am I pursuing unity in my relationships, in my family? Am I pursuing unity at MCC? Am I pursuing unity? And then the final is related to the table. You know, when you talk about mystery, can you imagine what the disciples thought when Jesus goes, hey, it's not a problem. If you want to follow me, just eat my body and drink my blood. <laughs> can you imagine? Cannibalism what? What are you talking? What are you saying? <laughs> you want us to? What I love about Jesus is he's always saying things. Even in my personal walk with him, he'll say things to me. I'm like, what are you, what? And the reason he speaks the Bible tells us that he would speak in riddles and parables. Some of that was eschatological with regard to the Jews. But he also speaks in riddles and parables because he's drawing us into conversation. He says things that you're like, huh? Let, let's spend some time together, Jesus, because I don't understand what you just said. And he will draw us in with mystery. So the table is mysterious. In fact, the Christian church has had all kinds of arguments about what's going on at the table, right? Some of our brothers and sisters believe that the bread is becoming the cellular body of Jesus, right? And the wine is, and the grape juice is becoming the cellular blood of Jesus. And then all sorts of uh, debates over that. But what we do know at the table is that we are uniquely meeting Jesus there. That there is a mystery to the fact that Jesus says, every time you get together, I want you to remember me. And as mysterious as it sounds, this piece of bread is my body, broken for you. And this little cup <laughs> is my blood shed for you. And I want you to regularly, with your brothers and sisters, I want you to regularly eat and drink. And I will be with you. So there is mystery at the table. So I want to encourage you. 
as we finish our time of worship, we're going to have the communion table. It's going to be open for you to come to embrace the mystery of the presence of God in the bread and in the cup. So let's stand, and I want to pray for you and pray for us. We're going to enter into a time of worship. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you have drawn us to yourself. And Jesus, I thank you for this table. Thank you for the bread and the cup. I ask Holy Spirit that you would draw us to greater dependence on Jesus. That you would help us to see the great value the treasure that is Jesus himself. So as we worship you, Jesus, help us to see you fresh and to meet you mysteriously at the table, trading our sin for your righteousness. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship him.
guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of it, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. And here in the power of Christ, I stand no power, no power of it, no scheme of man can ever me from his hand till he returns or calls me home and here in the power of Christ I stand here in the power of Christ we Father, I pray for my church family. I pray for us as your kids that we would have a fresh realization of the great mystery of Christ in us. I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would encounter you this week in such real and surprising ways. I bless those that are feeling burned out and worn out. I bless you with the fruit of the Spirit. I bless you with joy. I bless you with peace. I bless you with divine energy working mightily within you. And Father, we ask just like Jesus asked, Would you help your church be unified? Holy Spirit, would you bind and knit together black churches and white churches? Would you bring unity and reconciliation between offenders and offended? Would you bring husbands and wives together? Would you bring children back to the hearts of their parents? Holy Spirit, would you make a church here in Cincinnati that is unified and beautifully displays the unity of the triune God? Father, Son, and Spirit. I bless you. I bless you. I bless you with more of the presence of Jesus in your life. I bless you with greater revelation when you open the word. I bless you with tender hearts towards those who have hurt you. I bless you. And all God's people said, Amen. Church family, you are loved and you are dismissed. Be at peace. Be at peace.